Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of America's bloodiest prison, told by the people who lived it, both inside and outside its gates. The brutal history as you've never heard it before, from its origin as a slave plantation to its gradual growth as the bloodiest maximum security prison in America. To those outside its gates, it's known as Louisiana State Penitentiary at Angola. But to those who have spent time inside its gates, it's known as Bloody Angola. Come with us as we take you through the gates and give you a first-hand look at not only the stories of the stabbings, rapes, executions, escapes, and murders you won't find on any TV show or the internet, but also the murders, abductions, attacks, and hostage situations of the staff and their families, otherwise known by the convicts as free people. Bloody Angola is a comprehensive, no-hold-barred podcast that takes you on a journey through time from its inception as a slave plantation to America's largest maximum security prison, where 80% of its population will die inside the wire. Get mentally prepared. Sit back and listen as we cover these stories in detail in ways that you've never heard before from people that lived it breathed it and died with it bloody angola Warning, Bloody Angola is a podcast covering actual events and is intended for mature audiences. The subject matter discussed in no way reflects the personal opinions of the host or sponsors of this podcast. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another edition of Bloody Angola, a podcast 142 years in the making. The complete story of America's bloodiest prison. I'm Jim Chapman. And I'm Woody Overton. 
and we would sing you we wish you a merry christmas yes if i hear a tune in a bucket (laughs) (laughs) you listen to this it's just a few days before christmas and uh and we have some we didn't want to not bring y'all anything at all right because we're all about gift giving right and so these episodes or we're about to tell you via the gift keeps on giving that's right you listen to it as many times you want all year all year long (laughs) um so we want to wish all y'all and your loved ones a very very merry christmas and i'm sure you're all traveling and going to see family and loved ones and all that good stuff and we're doing the same thing so that's right we we really enjoyed and loved the response that we got when we did our little swap right it's probably been about a month ago or right. so. Right. We did it Thanksgiving week. Yeah. Same same concept. Um, so today we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. And for Bloody Angola, we're going to take one out of the vault for real life, real crime and give it to you. So you can have something to listen to from Bloody Angola and be our present to you. So tell us, tell us a little bit about, uh, about the one we're going to give these awesome, uh, bloody and go lights. I, I think y'all that the, um, this one ultimately ends up with a, a prison term. Um, but it's one of my, we've got one of the stories I got a, so much positive response out of. It's kind of a little bit outside of the box and police work, et cetera. But I was actually a, a victim of a crime and, the end result was prison time. So it kind of goes with bloody Angola. I'm pretty sure you didn't go to Angola, but it's the name of the episode is called hell or jail. And one of my favorites. Yeah. So it's, it's just a, you know, every good cop operates in the gray area sometimes. And, and that's what happens in the story. And I, th- I think that you're going to like it. Um, you know, if that's judged by the past response, we got to the episode, which is very, very positive. Exactly. So uh, look forward to that. And we did want to go ahead and update you real quick. We had brought up in a past episode about the uh, juveniles that had got they were moving. They were these were juvenile offenders that were not the best acting juveniles, I guess you could say. And it's not they weren't it wasn't a hug a thug program. (laughs) Not by any means. So y'all the um. If you remember it, or if you don't, it's the they had a huge problem now, or they're having a huge problem now with juvenile offenders in these. Um, they don't call them prisons; they call them the detention facilities. And but they are escaping; they're doing violent crimes uh, and in doing all these horrible things. And the the places they're housed in are in disrepair the, the security wise are not good and they're committing all these horrible crimes. So the state had to come up with a response to it. And what, what they did was they decided they were going to start housing these problematic juveniles in bloody Angola. Yes. And which is fucking illegal uh, by the definition of law. There's no a juvenile offender or prisoner. But they say offender, I guess we got to be politically correct, uh, or juvenile detainees are not even supposed to be in the vicinity of, of uh, any adults, especially adult prisoners. And, well, they decided to house them on the old death row at Angola. You do that. Well, the problem with that is there's they're still in Angola. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even if you get yard time and offenses, they actually had to go in and prepare this place. They put drapings over the fences so adult inmates couldn't see in and communicate with the juveniles and juveniles couldn't communicate back now i'm sure some of these juveniles family members are doing life in bloody angola and i'm sure some of these juveniles aren't far but when they move them here they're not going to be far from the world they're going to spend the rest of their life anyway because they're going to get out and they're going to commit more serious crimes and a lot a lot of them when i worked the juvenile uh detention facility a lot of them, as I became a detective in law enforcement, I locked them up uh, as they became adults. So they're, some of them are going to make fine trustees one day in Angola, I'm sure. But that doesn't change the fact that the state of Louisiana is now housing 
these problem detainees or juveniles in the old death row at Angola. Yeah. And, but it happened and and they fought it in the courts and everything else. And we're going to tell you about that. That's right. So it's supposed to be about two dozen young inmates. They plan to house. Uh, and as Woody said, it's, it's on the grounds of, uh, Louisiana state penitentiary in Angola. It's not, you know, they're not going to have them in the same cell with adults, but they will be housed there. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's kind of up to each individual person to decide. Right. Well, uh, I mean, to me, putting them in the old death row, that's kind of freaky. <laughs> if I was a kid, but they, y'all yeah, they, when might say, scare them straight. They, hopefully, uh, a percentage of them will get straight. But the uh, y'all, y'all were talking about kids from the age 12 to 17. Now, most of the time, the 17-year-olds go to a, a regular prison now. Big Paris boy prison, prison. Big boys prison. That's <laughs> right. They graduate. But the these are not kids that are in there for uh, truancy or disobeying their parents. They're in there for rape, murder, armed robbery, you know, whatever. Bad shit. Okay. And they couldn't control them in, in right. the regular – uh, environment that they were in inside these juvenile detention centers. So yeah. that was the whole point. These are like the worst of the worst right. inside those juvenile detention centers. Because as you know, when you're young, you're very influential. A lot of people, right. a lot of young young men and women. Right. And so what happens is if, if you got a bunch of young kids clowning, for lack of a better term, inside the detention center, it, it, it's almost like a cancer. It just spreads. And before you know it, you lose total control. Right. And and this particular detention center has lost total control. Right. And so they're they, taking them and you know, moving this, them. That, we're talking about Bridge City, y'all, uh, uh, out in New Orleans. But the, really, it's not limited to that. Bat, Bat, Baton Rouge has had so many escapes from the one out by the airport oh, yeah. and all that. Ryan and, Airport. And, and attacking, right, attacking the officers and everything else. But it is what it is. It, they The state got the old death row uh, prepared. They covered up the fences. They did all this stuff. And they moved the first group of juveniles, at least. Yep. So just wanted to update you on that. They are there. They're at Angola. Yep. And, and you know, even though it was fault, y'all, uh, um, and, you know, the bleeding heart liberals say, oh, they can't do this. It's so bad. But Judge Shelley Dix, and I, I'm going to read this in her paper real quick. Judge Shelley Dix, y'all, is the one who certified me in all U.S. federal courts as an expert witness in law enforcement matters. She's very tough but very fair. But um, she heard the the law, the lawsuit, and the basically they're saying that you know it's you know you locking up kids in cells in Angola. She said it, that is an untenable. She said, but the threat of the harm the young youngsters present to themselves and others in, is intolerable. And she said the untenable must yield to the intolerable basically mm, this is the the you know they're they're badasses and uh they it, by leaving them in this facility where they've done all these crimes and everything else then locking them up in angola is the lesser of the two evils basically yes. so the this facility we're talking about the first ones are being shipped from that had a recent rape rage or or you know a violence at the facility and it, it was located on the West Bank of Jefferson Parish, and it has seen more than two dozen detainees escape uh, since April of 2021. And but one of them, y'all, last July, escaped, carjacked somebody, and shot him uh, in Uptown New Orleans. And he was eventually chased down and caught after crashing the stolen vehicle. So you're dealing with some bad cats. The ship in Angola, it actually happened. We talked to you about it on a previous episode, a previous episode, but it's a real deal. That's right. So there's your update on that, folks, because if, if we do anything, we want to keep you updated. Right, right. <laughs> and, and and there's a lot of updates yeah. still yet to come. Yeah, and and I don't imagine they'll be having the best Christmas in, mm-hmm. in the old death row, but it is what it is. And, and and very interesting, Woody, that you bring that up because, you know, in the research that I was doing kind of for this 
episode and and what we would talk about at the beginning of it is uh christmas is actually christmas time is actually the worst time of the year for suicides in prisons absolutely the holidays especially christmas holidays and i i I work many of them very depressing time very much and i mean you know thinking about when you're a little kid and you got that Red Rider BB gun, don't shoot your eye out. <laughs> well, shoot your eye. And then I guess you just can't handle it, right? Or right. maybe you're missing mama's uh, ham or some shit, and then you decide to hang yourself or slit your wrist or whatever. But, hey, you know what? I, could, I didn't put them in. Well, I put a lot of them in prison. I didn't make them commit the crimes they committed to go into prison. And, it, and that's part of being locked up. Famous song I once heard was, don't do the crime if you, you can't, can't do, do the, the time. time. That's right. <laughs> So anyway, that's that's your update. But we we hope you enjoy the episode of Hell or Jail. We love y'all. Wish you Merry Christmas. Hope Santa Claus is good to you. Hey, Woody. We also want to mention uh, the live event Saturday sold out, and we opened up a Friday. The the bloody and gold live, and it's going to be. I mean, hey, you better be 18. Well, you, you have to be 18 to get in. They will have alcohol sales and food sales. And Look, we got sombreros. Sombreros. Tommy coming in the house. Fire, fire Mexican restaurant. One uh, of the best people. Yeah, a great guy. And they'll be there, and we'll have uh, some alcohol sales. Oh, yeah, we've got a we've got a – y'all, I got, I got to mention this. We've got a – it's actually the, really the cutest like camper you've ever seen in your life. Everything lays down in it, and it becomes a full bar. They'll have a full bar in there. Everything from uh, beer to mixed beer. drinks. Beer, yeah, beer. yeah. What do you? I love beer. I have what do you at beer? Beer. <laughs> <laughs> they also have the best mimosas you could ever drink, but get this—they're making a special drink just for. Bloody Angola's, uh, just for Bloody Angola Live, it is going to be called the Bloody Angola, and it's a special Bloody Mary. That is, whoa, I love Bloody Mary's. Yeah. Bloody Mary's helped me after my nights of beer. (laughs) (laughs) So I can have another night of beer. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. A a Bloody Angola Bloody Mary. So order you the Bloody Angola. Y'all got to remember, y'all, I want you to know this is different than the Crew Bash uh, where we have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people this is a very intimate private setting at southeastern's um campus in walker in the i've been fortunate enough to do three live shows there it's, it's only sits 150 people the stadium seating everybody has a comfortable seat and you're right in our face right and and it, the store is going to be fire the the drinks and the food all available and once this we tell the story we're going to stay and sign autographs and take pictures with every single person and even if you don't want our autograph don't want to take a picture guess what i want to meet you jim wants to meet you we're going to be there until the last person leaves. That's right. And we'll have Bloody Angola swag. Look, everybody's been asking me about Bloody Angola swag. Right. We're going to have some there, a few T-shirts uh, and some other stuff. We're going to pre-sell some stuff uh, that you can wear actually to the event. It'd be right. like, think of it like a concert T-shirt, right, right, but right. for for uh, podcasts. Right. Uh, so check that out. It is the 13th and 14th of january that's a friday and a saturday saturday sold out they sold out so friday we've got about half left friday and it'll be sold out it's gonna sell y'all give it get it and and give it for the gift of christmas or whatever you want to but don't wait because uh the mad response we got the first one and that's why we were doing the second night and they were crystal hardison and the southeastern were gracious enough to give us that but saturday night sold out way like hotcakes right friday night selling out the same way you're going to miss out we got the friday night because so many people were i guess hesitating or what do you call procrastinating and then they realized holy shit they sold out yeah and so like oh can you do another one so they hooked us up so we're gonna have friday the 13th we still have tickets for sale 2023 january southeastern Livingston Center, Livingston which is Center. located in Walker, Walker Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah, 
So uh, you can get tickets online, and look, we we revamped the whole southeastern system when it comes to tickets, right. and now you can order as many tickets as you want in one transaction. Right, right. Uh, so where before they, they, they had it on, you can only buy one ticket at a time now. They uh, and thank them for doing that. They hooked us up, but y'all, this professional sound. The the room is very intimate anyway, but professional sound and lighting, um, uh, everything. Everything's going to be top-notch, first-class, VIP, get you tickets. Yeah, and I can guarantee you a story. Oh, shit, the story. <laughs> I'll tell you what, be 18 and be ready to have your – Jaw dropped. So, yeah, your socks rocked, right? And that, yeah. uh, anyway, it, but it's a true story, and it's a story that needs to be told. So thank you very much uh, to everybody who bought Saturday's tickets. We yeah. sold that puppy yeah. out. Fridays, yeah. we got about half left. That's yeah. it. So and get them while they're hot. Get them how, how or while they, they're how, available. How do they get them? Uh, easy way to get them, you can go to southeastern, www.southeastern.edu, and you can go straight to that website, and you just pull up uh, Lifelong Learning, and it'll show it where the first thing on that page, and you'll see it, and you follow the instructions from there, or you can go right to the Bloody Angola Facebook page, just scroll down. Every day we we kind of repost that post and it'll have the link makes it easy. Any questions, just shoot us a message on Facebook. We can answer it. Absolutely. We'll take care of it. And um, y'all thank you for everything. And please remember to like and subscribe to bloody Angola. um, Leave us a review if if you will. And all that good podcaster shit. I got a little mail. In the other day from a listener of Bloody Angola. We wanted to shout him out. It was very, very nice of him. Uh, he sent us some French Settlement Roasting Company coffee. Y'all right, made right here in the Livingston Parish in the town of French Settlement, right? This is love. Always love when fans send, send us gifts. This is really special. I love to drink coffee anyway, but the label says... Not only made it in Louisiana, but it says, may your coffee kick in before reality does. <laughs> One of the best slogans ever. Right? And look, this coffee is 100% organic, and it comes in this great package. Uh, it's sealed up. It's a pool tab to open. Mine is Brazilian medium dark roast, which is, has an initial sweetness and a fruit followed by baker's chocolate and toasted walnut flavor. Sounds lovely. And I have Colombian medium dark roast, and it it has a little bit of citrus in it. Right. Uh, caramel, milk chocolate with bright acidity and a creamy body. That's love, y'all. And, and hey, we really want to thank him for sending this to us. Y'all go check them out. French Settlement Roasting Company. Can't wait to try it. And uh, actually, we'll give you an update after we try it. That's right. We just got it in, but it's so cool. Thank you so much. French Settlement Roasting Company is priceless. Love it. Join the Chase team yes, because we've got several different versions of this. We're going to be reading. It's a little right. bonus, quick bonus episode for Chase team right. members. But Woody's going to read Twas the Night Before Christmas, but it's a prison version that he's going to read you right now. And uh, we've got several versions of not only that, but some other fun stuff for holidays that we're going to be doing for right. bonus Chase team members. And Chase team members, thank you so much. We appreciate each and every one of y'all. Y'all, if you want to be a Chase team member, the, the link will be in the, in the show notes or go to our social media or wherever. But you get a bonus episodes every month and commercial free or releases and all that good stuff. So we appreciate y'all. But now I'm going to read this one. But Chase team members, you're going to get some really, really funny ones. Yeah. So, it was the night before Christmas. It was the night before Christmas, and here in my cell, I think to myself, this must surely be hell. The prison's in lockdown at the warden's insistence. There is no one to talk to, and there'll be no resistance. Each inmate is locked in his cell for the night. No turkey, no sleigh bells, no warm candlelight. With my head in my hands... I sit in the cold and remember past Christmases, silver and gold. To sleep would bring dreams and memories of home, but I sit here in silence, forsaken alone. When all of a sudden, in the darkness, a cry, a heart-wrenching sob, and I softly ask why. 
Why don't they visit? Why don't they write? Why am I here on this Christmas Eve night? My hands grip the bar. I think hard to reply, but there's nothing to say. There's no answer to why. And just when it seems there is only despair, I remember that someone somewhere out there cares. I turn back to that most precious gift of them all, a handwritten letter so tenderly scrawled. My hand trembles a moment. I take out the page, the paper all yellow and crinkled with age. I've read it so often, I know every word. To those who don't know, it would seem quite absurd. But I treasure each sentence, reread every line. The message is so simple. I hope you're fine. And I feel myself smiling as I get to the end. I'll be here forever. Forever. Amen. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. And happy birthday, Jesus. Yeah, the rights remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney prior to or during any question. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. Do you understand your rights? And the wolf is at your door. You running so that's for sure. And welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. Thank you for joining and listening. Appreciate each and every one of you lifers. Real Life, Real Crime is rocketing, growing every day, and it's because of y'all liking and sharing us. I appreciate that. Stay tuned in today's episode, and you'll get to hear some updates on some things and some things that we have going on. But Let's get to the episode. And the name of the episode is Hell or Jail. I don't really remember what year it was. I think it must have been like 2004. I was a detective with the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. And people ask me all the time, I get the question all the time, how do you handle like the PTSD from all the bad shit that you've seen, right? And in I tell them that I, I really don't think about it. I guess I'm one of the ones that's blessed that can block things out. My way of dealing with it, it was by going hunting or fishing or whatever. And so it, stay with me. There's a reason I'm telling you this. But all the time when I was off, that's what I did. Hunted and fished. It, um, but, but I always did it with other cops. And, and I think when I started as, as a rookie cop, Brother Pete Charlay, who had been a cop forever, but he also run the Charlotte Funeral Home in Zachary, he told me, he said, my one piece of advice to you is keep at least one friend that's not a cop. And I was like, why? And he said, because you need somebody that can keep you grounded on the outside of law enforcement. He said, because all cops end up hanging out with other cops because they're the only people that get them. And I didn't really catch that at this time, but the years have gone by in my career and I had no friends, but, but the guys that I work with, right? And the girls. That I work with. And so on our days off, we did everything together. We we hung together. We, you know, worked whatever together. We hunted together. We fished together. We partied together. And this was no exception. And I can tell you the month was December, whatever year it was. The month was December because it was hunting season. And I knew that I got off that Friday and uh, I had planned to go up to Red River Wildlife Management Area, which was at the time they didn't have the new bridge built between St. Francisville and New Roads. So it took us like, it took me like over three hours to get to this hunting spot. Now, what was there 
was uh, Brian Paul Smith, who's now the chief deputy, and Ben Bourgeois, who's now the chief of the detectives for the Livingston Parish Sheriff's Office. They had a little camp on the outskirts of this management area, this hunting area. And we would go up there and do what we do, right? And I, I guess that's how my PTSD got released because we would go up there. I, I'd load my truck up and with all the essentials, which is my firearm, a little bit of camouflage, and tons of beer, and my four-wheeler, and more beer, right? And, and so load up, take my time, drive up to the uh, to the hunting camp, get there, everybody's there, you unload your stuff, and start drinking, right? And that's what we did. And we always had a fire. A couple of rules at the hunting camp. You're always, always going to have cold beer, and you're always going to have a great meal, right? Because uh, a lot of the guys I work with, you know, kunasses, and, and, and y'all, kunass is not a derogatory term. That's what Cajuns call Cajuns. And, um, but everybody could cook something. So if you get there, you start drinking and you get around the fire and you're telling the cop stories. And I guess that's how we decompress, right? And, you know, you drink through the night and at some point you go to bed and you get up in the morning, you go hunting, you come back from hunting, you get you some leftover jambalaya from the night before or whatever was cooked. And then you take your little nap and you go hunt again in the evening. So it was a good time, and I'd taken off the whole week. And this was would have been right after the Toys for Tots or whatever Willie called it, the Christmas Crusade, after the presents were delivered, so probably the week before Christmas. And a bunch of us took off that week to go up there and spend the time and hunt, right? And no spouses, just the guys. So go up there, chilling, doing, been waiting on this week for however long. And we got the first night went by. Uh, and then the second night, and, you know, like I said, we drank and ate good. I don't remember what it was, but the, the next morning, now listen, the, this place is so rural. There's no cell phone reception at this camp. I mean, none. You had to drive like four miles to the levee and get up on top of the levee at the Red River levee to get reception. And I remember like before I was married back then, Brian Paul and I were up there and he had to call his wife. So we had to drive out to the levee in the evening time. Uh, after the hunt, and he, he was on the phone with his wife. It, uh, she's an awesome. She was an awesome friend to me. She always treated me like family. But you know, she didn't. She didn't cut me any slack. But he was on the phone with her and and saying his good nights or whatever. And I said, Hey, you tell your wife, call my wife and tell her um, I won't be calling her this evening while I wasn't married. And Brian's wife responded, said, Brian said she said. If you had called your wife a few more times, you may still have one, right? So, it, but anyway, no cell phone reception, but the pagers worked. And we always had to have our pagers on. Willie's rule was, you know, with the blood hit the ground and everybody gets called out, you got to come home no matter what, right? So the next morning after the hunt, the morning hunt, I get back to, to the camp and getting ready to get something to eat and my pager goes off and it's the radio room. It says 10 21, you're 42 911. I'm like, what? And 10 21 is call, y'all. And it's, they were telling me to call my 42, which is my house, which means my wife at the time, in 911. Uh, I'm like, holy shit, right? So I know it's not good and it's going to be bad. And, and I'm thinking somebody died or something, right? Uh, uh, so I had to jump in my truck, haul ass down to the levee, get up on top of the levee. And we had the Nextel phones back then. That's how long ago it was, the uh, the flip Nextels. And I called, and she, and she answered, and she starts just reaming my ass. <laughs> I scream. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, settle down. You know, Tell me what's going on. She said, everybody in her neighborhood got robbed last night. All this and da da da, da you know, all your neighbors got robbed, and we look like idiots, and and nothing's getting done about it, and da, da, da and get your ass home now and solve this case. And I'm like, what? I said, you let me make a phone call, and so I hung up because I want to listen to all that. And I called the radio room, and they were like, yeah, man, there's like been like 20 reports of vehicle burglaries on your street that happened last night. And I'm like, fuck. And, and I said, who's the detectives? And it's the 
No detective has been assigned yet because they're working a shit hot case, some type of rape or something. I don't remember what it was. She said, so uh, uniform patrol guys have been getting called out there as the neighbors would wake up through the day and realize their shit had been burglarized. Then they would call in to have the report made. Now, on a big burglary like that, y'all, if a bunch of vehicles get hit, usually the detectives, at some point, the uniform guys are calling the detectives out so they can start fingerprinting and shit like that. Uh, it rained that night, uh, the night before, I remember that. But the detectives were busy on, on a priority case. It was, it was a rape case, and they were actively working it. So the, a uniform guy would go out and take a report from whoever the victim was, then that victim may tell their neighbor to check their shit or whatever. And the uniform guys, a bunch of, as the uniform guys got dispatched out, they went. So a bunch of different guys went and it, it got bigger as the day went along. So I called and, and, um, you know, called back and, and I got another earful from my spouse at the time. And I was like, fuck, I got to go home. Right. And so I go back to the camp and I told him, I, you know, I got, packing my shit up and like, where are you going? I said, my, my neighborhood got hit and there's no detective work in the case because they're out on another case and I got to go home. You know, I, I mean, I'll never live it down from, uh, my spouse. I mean, just we'll leave it at that. The person hadn't been my spouse for many, many years, but anyway, so <laughs> I had to go home and, and I, I, there was a three hours. I had a bit of a hangover. It was a three-hour ride, like a slow ride in the hill. I know I'm going to catch hell when I go through the door. No fault of mine. It was just the way it was back then in that relationship. And so I get there, and I pull into my truck, and, yep, it starts immediately when I walk in the door. I'm like, what in the fuck do you want me to do? I said, I'm not Superman, motherfucker. I wasn't here last night. I said, I just drove three hours in, and I'll see what I can do. And so I called in. Detectives still were not available, and she had a list of her neighbors, which were her friends. Now, let me tell you about the street. It was Parham Avenue. I lived at 7917 Parham Avenue, third house on the right. And what reminded me of the story, y'all, was when I did the uh, episode on first of the month. That was Parham Avenue. And actually, the house that the guy was selling the dope out of that we that we raided was my next door neighbor, but they it wasn't the same people. Those people had sold and moved out. Now Barham is what they call Hunstock West. Hunstock East was across sixteen, big neighborhood, lots of streets and all this shit, big houses. The Parham was a straight line road in. You turn off of sixteen and it went straight back and just past my house, where we set up on the, on the first of the month I told you about, there's a cul-de-sac off to the right there. But you go to the end, and the Parham, it's probably three-quarters of a mile long, maybe a half mile, I don't know. It wasn't that long. And you go to the end, and there's a cul-de-sac on the back end. That's it. Houses, you know, like any neighborhood now, the new whatever neighborhoods, houses are pretty close together. All of them are nice homes, very very quiet street. I should, I, I don't even think I had a, a house key to my house. I never locked my house, but on the way home, I, I, I was really shitting myself because I'm thinking, holy fuck. I wondered did I lock my, my unmarked unit because it must've been 2004 because I was still on the SWAT team or SRT team. And in my unmarked unit, I had my AR 15, my tactical shotgun, all my SWAT gear. And I'm thinking, fuck, but I didn't say that. I, but one of the first things I did when I got at home is made sure my unit was locked, right? So my shit was good. But Parham, quiet. You didn't cut, you didn't turn on that street unless you had business on the street. Okay, great neighborhood, and we knew everybody. And and as a matter of fact, my ex's uh, office manager lived in the uh, at the back of the first cul-de-sac right past my house. And shit, man, everybody got hit. Then I said. The second thing I checked was my spouse's SUV because I knew she never locked it. And we had a pistol in there that her father had, had given, and it was a Colt police special, an old, old, old revolver with the long barrel one. I'm talking about like from the 1930s or some shit. It was older and, older and dirt. 
but I, I went out there and checked it, and sure enough, that some bitch was gone, and and some change, I, uh, um, and a little bit of cash that she kept in the thing. I'm like, oh shit, now I gotta tell her that we got hit too, right? And so go in, you know, tell her, and 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 somebody else is calling. She's on the phone with another neighbor or the office manager, whoever. I go in. I'm not staying, trying to hang out in the house and listen to this bullshit. I got to take the bull by the horns. No detective's been assigned. Now it's it's later in the evening, probably two o'clock, something like that. And so I went in and and threw on some detective's clothes and put on my badge, my gun, and, and I, I jet out the door. I get in my unmarked unit and I go down. And I talk to a couple of the neighbors and, and y'all. What I noticed was every complainant, every victim, had left their shit unlocked, right? And and but they had entered some people's sheds in their yards, like the uh, like some weed eaters were stolen, a chainsaw, and all the stuff that was stolen out of the vehicles, the stereos. There was another pistol that was stolen from somebody else. It was a newer nine millimeter. All the shit that was stolen was what. It wasn't secure, right? A lock keeps an honest man honest. Now, I know that nobody had cameras on. They didn't have ring doorbells back then. Of course, I did look to see if anybody had cameras, but nobody had cameras. But I did not believe that somebody came in there in a vehicle and hit this long row of homes. And now most of the the, most of the houses that were hit were on my side of the street. So. It showed to me that, that the perpetrators, it was obviously more than one, and it was like 20 vehicles and, and sheds and shit like that. So it showed me it was obviously more than one perpetrator, but also they only took what they could carry, which means more than likely they didn't have a vehicle in there. All right. So also, what time of the year is it? It's the holiday season. Who's out of school? your kids, your teenagers and stuff like that, right? And burglaries always went up around the holiday time. So the uh, you know, the addicts gotta buy presents too and and, and people steal shit and a lot of them steal it and, and, and trade it for dope, but a lot of them steal it and sell it and you know, buy Christmas presents. But so I'm riding around and I'm looking and now on Parham, if you're riding towards the end of Parham, away from my house, away from Highway 16. On the left-hand side is a major road on, on the outside of the, the, the neighborhood. On the right-hand side, where the two cul-de-sacs were, there's a big wooden fence that runs the whole backside of Hunstock West, whatever you want to call it, Parham Avenue. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm going to see if I, what I could shake up, right? So I go back out to 16 and I hang out the, um, I, I, if they came in from that street side, the, there's nothing I could do. They could have parked the car wash down the street and came in, but I said, I want to start on my side of the street where the wooden fence was. And so go out to 16 and hang a left and then hang the first left. And I, I forget the name of the road, the first left. And it goes back in there now at, behind Parham Avenue. And it was like back at the time, it was just a couple like track houses and, and some trailers back there, and it kind of make a made a circle. But when you turn onto it, now I'm in an unmarked white Crown Vic, y'all, and it's obviously it's a cop car, right? And the, the lights are on the dash. So I, I turn in, and you come down to this little T, and I'm going from memory. You come down to this little T, but right in the middle of the T is a trailer that's facing me in the end, perpendicular, I guess you would call it, not horizontal. It's faced me, and there's like three big, mean-ass dogs chained up in the yard. It's There's no driveway. It's a dirt lot, and it's a shitty trailer, and standing out in the yard are two males, and, and they weren't kids by any means. I mean, probably early 20s, uh, but they're standing out there smoking cigarettes, and I'm looking at them, and they looking at me, and the first thing I see, they recognize the car as a as a probable cop car, right? And then they their eyes got kind of big, and then I'm like, oh shit, here we go. But they could just be dopers, you know. I didn't have anything solid to go on, so I rolled my window down and I made eye contact with them, and they never broke eye contact. Now the street goes around, and as I'm going around, and when I 
I had to look back towards the road, broke the eye contact. They jet. They go inside the trailer. I'm like, oh, shit, this is about to pick up. But I wasn't sure. And I didn't have shit to go on, right? So I made the loop, and it comes back around on the other side of that trailer. So I'm looking at it hard. I'm scoping it hard. And I'm looking, and they had light blue curtains in the window. I'll never forget it. And I saw the curtains move, and then they closed. So they were watching for me to come back around. Well, fuck yeah. Business is about to pick up, right? And this is not 50 yards from the the back of the wooden fence on Parham. (laughs) So I didn't have shit to go on. And, and, you know, I just was going to reach out there. Uh, I pulled into the little dirt yard. The dogs were chained in the, I guess they were not Rottweilers or Pitbulls. They were mean-ass dogs, but they had big chains on them, like fighting dogs they do in, in the country. And the dogs were, row, 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 row. And, but I made sure that I could walk up to the trailer where the dogs wouldn't get me. So I get out, and I'm walking up. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, for officer safety, or I'm, I'm, approaching, I'm approaching with tactics, right? I'm not just going to walk up and knock on the door and stand in front of the door because if these are the guys that hit the neighborhood, I know they have at least two firearms. And, and I don't know if they're third-strike felons, they want to shoot it out or whatever. They have what you call a kill zone. And if you stand in front of the door, that's the fucking kill zone. So I walk up, single-wide, old-ass trailer, and I walk up, and I, I don't stand in front of the doors. It's cement steps, three steps. And I, I bang on the side of the trailer. I said, boom, boom, boom. I said, Sheriff's office, open the door. I want to talk to you. Nothing. Boom, boom, boom. Sheriff's office, open the door. I want to talk to you. Nothing. Now, I know they ain't gone anywhere. There were no vehicles in the yard to start with. I know they haven't gone anywhere. They hadn't been able to get out of the area. So what I did... I'm like, well, I mean, what the fuck am I going to do, right? So I took out my next tail, and I made that cookie, that noise, and I said, 201-259, send me the SWAT team, uh, get me the detectives. Uh, I need a search warrant for this trailer or one, whatever. The, I can't remember the name of the street now, y'all. And uh, I need a search warrant for this trailer. I got barricaded suspects. Give me the SWAT team out here. We need to surround it. And, and it's a high dangerous situation. Uh, da, da, da. I was making shit up right, but I knew they could hear me. I knew they were listening. And then the door opens, and a guy comes out and says, "Wait, wait, wait, man! What's what's going on?" It was one of the two that I had seen. But he shut the door right behind him as he came out. I said, "What do you mean? What's going on?" And he said, "Why? Why are you you, you calling a SWAT team?" I said, "That's right, motherfucker. I'm calling a SWAT team." And y'all, you know, I always talk to young guys. Never to start out high, I always start out low. But I didn't have anywhere to go but high on this one, right? And, and I really didn't have anything to go on but gut instinct. And I said, come down off them steps. And, and he came down, and I, I pushed him against the trailer. I patted him. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm Pat Frisky for officer safety. And uh, uh, you don't got any firearms on you. I mean, I ain't got shit on me. And, and it, uh, I turned him around, let him go, and I said, and I got it right in his face. I said, motherfucker, you have screwed the fucking pooch. He said, what are you talking about? I said, you know what? Don't even say anything. You need to listen to me because what I'm telling, about to tell you is the most important shit you've ever heard in your entire fucking life. I said, I know what you did last night. I know what your homies and your crew did last night. Don't try. I'm not going to ask you a question about it. I'm here to tell you some cold, hard facts of how you fucked yourself. You have just shit in your nest, young man. I said, you're screwed. I, I said, how old are you? He said, I'm 19. I had his attention for sure, y'all. Now, I know this other asshole sitting in the trailer listening also. I, so I had to come up with some good shit. And I said, listen, you, y'all hit all those vehicles in those sheds on a par ham last night. I said, but he started saying something. No, motherfucker, shut up. Listen to me. And I'm, I'm right in his face. I'm giving my, I'm going to kill you look, right? And I'm my crazy eyed look. And, and I said, you fucked up. I said, one of the vehicles that you hit was my shit. I said, but that's not even the problem. The, the pistol that you got out of it, the revolver, because you know what the fuck I'm talking about, because it says police special on it. And it's an old, old revolver. I said, but what you don't know is the story behind the revolver. And boy, his eyes are kind of big. I said, you have stolen a piece of American history. I said, do you know who the 28th president of the United States was? And he's like, oh, I said, no, I, I don't guess you fucking do. 
I said his name was Woodrow Wilson. Y'all, I don't know if that's the 28th president or not. I was making it up as I went along. I said, his name is Woodrow Wilson. I said, I am named after him. My name is Woodrow after him. I said, you know why? He said, no, sir, why? I said, because that pistol saved the president's life. He was at Hotel Monteleon in New Orleans in a poker game in 1932. And one of the guys that he beat left the room and they thought he's going to get more money. But he came back in with a knife and he tried to stab the president. And my great, great grandfather pulled that pistol out and shot him between the eyes and killed that motherfucker. And and the the president's life was saved by that pistol that you took out of my vehicle last night. That's a piece of national history, motherfucker, that you stole. And then you stole it from me. And I said, I want my motherfucking pistol back and I want it back right this fucking second. And he was like, oh, and I said, no, I want it. And if you say anything other than that you have it, it's going to be hell or jail for you, son. And he was like, oh, and I said, no. Where's my fucking pistol? And he he said, well, if if I get it back for you, am I going to get in trouble? I said, motherfucker, if you don't get it back for me, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. SWAT's team's on its way. We're going to roll in here. They're going to have to eliminate these big-ass dope dogs that you got in your yard. I said, have you ever seen a flashbang go off? We're going we're gonna to throw flashbangs to every one of these windows on this piece of shit trailer, and it's going to blow your windows out, probably blow the sides of your trailer out. I said, and they're not coming in armed to the teeth. Well, guess what? We know you got two pistols in there, and you, you might be holding one of them. So it's hell or jail. You going somewhere today, it's one of the two, hell or jail. So you're fucked no matter what because I know you got my shit, and I want my pistol back. And I'm not promising you anything other than you're going somewhere today, hell or jail. What's it going to be, motherfucker? And, and you know, I was just all crazy up on him. And, and I said, you know what? Fuck that. I said, you've got two hours right now. That's about how long it takes to get a search warrant for this piece of shit. And I'm going to have somebody sitting at the end of the road. I'm going to have somebody in the bushes making sure y'all can't leave. And... You've got two hours, and your time starts right now. I said, and I'm coming back, and when I come back, it's hell or jail. I ain't playing fucking games with you, boy. You shit in your own nest. You fucking stole from me, and you stole a national piece of national history. And I said, the FBI is going to have to get involved. This kid didn't know any better. He's about to cry. And uh, so I turned around. (laughs) I got in my car, and I rolled the window down. I'm just giving him the stink eye the whole way, right? I'm back out. And I said, two hours. And I, I drove around his little circle, around the, like I did the first time when I saw him looking out the back window. And I was going like two miles an hour with my window down. And he was just standing out there for like 15 minutes. And uh, so I, and I told him and, you know, about my third lap around, it, he was still standing out there watching me, right? I mean, he thinks I'm crazy. And I and I hollered, you got, you got an hour. I mean, uh, you you have a hundred and five minutes. Whatever I told him, basically, your clock is running, motherfucker. What are you doing, standing in your yard? And I'd give him my uh, my card and said, you call me when you get the pistol, and I want it right. So I went out, went around to Parham, and but man, but time I could get to my driveway, my phone rings. And I answered it, and he said, hey, hey, Hoss, what the hell are you doing? I, and it was Ken McMorris, the same one I told you we worked, doing all the dope jumping on Parham on um, the first of the month. And I'm like, I said, what do you mean, bro? And he said, bro, I just got a phone call from one of my CIs, and he said you were over there fucking threatening to kill him and blow his house up and everything else. And and, and he he said, I said, what well, was Tell me what he said. He said, he called me. He said, Mr. Ken, Mr. Ken, I need your help. He said, motherfucker was crying, Woody. And he said, I need your help. And he said, son, what's wrong? And, and uh, Ken told me, he said, I worked with this kid a lot in the past. They, they are, and I forgot to tell you all this, he had meth sores and stuff on him uh, when I was talking to him, right, on his face and stuff. So he was kind of tweaking. But he said he'd used him in the past as a CI. He called him up. He's crying. He was like, Mr. Ken, you got to help me. You got to help me. 
He said, you know a, a, a Detective Woodrow? He said, he said, Woody Overton? He said, yeah, yeah. And he said, he said, he was at my house and, 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 and uh, he said, I got his gun. He says he's going to kill my dogs and blow my house up and, and uh, I'm going to hell or jail. Well, Mr. Ken, he said, you got to help me. You got to help me. He said, well, he said, son, he said, you got that man's pistol? And, 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 and he said, the boy got quiet. He said, answer me. He said, let me tell you something. Woody Overton is fucking crazy. He said, I don't even go around the dude. He said, he went to your house and he knows you got his gun. You better give that motherfucker up because I, I ain't, I'm telling you, there ain't no telling what that crazy motherfucker to do. He said, what you don't know about Woody Overton, he was off in the war and the first Gulf War and he got all messed up in the head from killing people and shit. So he, if you got his gun, you better give it the fuck up. And he's like, Mr. Ken, Mr. Ken, can I give it to you? I don't want that dude coming back to my house. Can I give it to you? <laughs> and I started laughing. I was like, Ken, that's the gun my father-in-law gave me. And I made up a lie about the gun and, and all this. And he, yeah, he said he told me some crazy shit about the pistol saved the president of the United States. And he was, you know, he said he was gibberish and going on and on. I'm like, Dude, will you please go over there and get that shit? And he said, well, uh, uh, and the kid was working narcotics at the time. And then he said, I'm going to get with the detectives and we'll go over there and, and see what's up. He said, I'll get you, you get your shit back for you. So I waited a while and Ken called me back later. He said, man, he said, I don't know what you did to that boy, but you had them some kind of shook up. He said that they ended up making three arrests. The boy Guy gave my pistol back, the other pistol back. Uh, he said they recovered all kinds of stolen merchandise from the neighborhood. Not everything, because on a big burgers like that, trying to recover everything is like standing in the middle of a hurricane with a feather pillow and cutting it open and shaking all the feathers out and then trying to pick up each individual feather, right? Some of it they would have taken and traded for dope that you know right away that night. But he was able to get my firearm back. Uh, a lot of the stuff that b- belonged in the neighborhood back were car stereos and stuff they hadn't got rid of. He said, what did we arrest three of them? And we got full confessions out of them. I said, look, I didn't advise them Miranda, but I wasn't trying to question the motherfucker either. I was just going on, you know, pure blind gut luck instinct, you know? And uh, so they, they got them and, and they booked them in. All of them were adults and they did it. I mean, they, they hit the neighborhood. They stole all the shit, but got the pistol back. Fast forward. You know what I did? I loaded my shit. I went back inside. I changed into my hunting clothes. I got back in my truck, and I went hunting for the rest of the week. Uh, the home life be damned, right? So had a good, great week hunting, come back, uh, get to the courthouse. The the very first thing uh, I do is look up and see what district attorney has been assigned case, and it was Greg Murphy. And I called him and said, hey, Greg. He said, man, I, I'm reading your, your shit got stolen, huh? And, and he said, but they were able to get it back. I said, yeah. I said, you, you do me a favor, please, and make an example out of these fuck sticks because, you know, my reputation is, and everybody in that neighborhood is a huge sheriff's office supporter and a huge DA supporter. Uh, he said, don't worry about it. And they ended up giving him 12, uh, he pled. There was no trial, no motion to suppress. I mean, the, the, uh, he pled to 12 years for the vehicle burglaries. Now, 12 years is a shitload of time for a vehicle burglary in the grand scheme of things. In the past, they would give them like probation or whatever. And so we'd give them to plead down to 12 years is, is uh, to, to plead to 12 years is a big deal. And uh, it wouldn't have happened had, you know, I not been involved. Fast forward many years later, uh, I was with the state police. I'd been divorced from that person for a long time. And I get a phone call, and it's a probation parole officer that I knew and that, that I actually worked at Southeastern with before, and I'm not going to say his name. And he said, he said, Woody, he said, you got, you got robbed way back when at, at, on Parham Avenue. I said, yep, sure did. He said, he said, you remember the fella? I said, yep, sure did. He said, look, he's coming up for, for parole. And he said, he's been a great inmate. He said he's got no write-ups. He made trustee. And basically, once he got off the dope, he turned out to be a, a decent guy. And he said, um, he's coming off parole, but the shit has been flagged. And they wanted me to call you and see if you have a problem with him getting parole or, or do you want the parole board to deny him? And I said, I don't give a shit, man. And I said, uh, 
yeah, I've been going up from there for forever, like probably all, almost the whole time he's been incarcerated. And I think he'd done like five or six years. And I told him, I said, I don't care, dude. Tell him, uh, don't ever come around me again. And if he ever sees me again, you know, he better turn and go the other way before I see him. So, but he got out and even getting out on paper, the 12 years, his sentence would alone been up by now before I told the story. So that's it. The, uh, not a great big drama story like last week and, you know, with the murder and, and the death of the baby and all that, but just a, a story that uh, when I did the first of the month, it reminded me of being on Parham when we got robbed that time and how I got lucky and scared the shit out of that dude uh, to crack the case. So, but anyway, I appreciate y'all a little bit of more of a lighthearted story. I love and appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for listening and wouldn't have a show if it wasn't for the lifers, right? So patron members, you know, we love you and appreciate you. If you can't be a patron member, I ask that you just subscribe to us and like us and leave a, a review on iTunes and all that good podcast or stuff I'm supposed to say. Instagram, at Real Life Real Crime or at Overton Woody. I'm posting some funny stuff on there pretty much every day. Y'all check it out. Follow me on that, and we're about to start doing more videos for our YouTube channel. Check that out. The Courtney Coco case, we are in the same holding pattern, and I know people are like, COVID this, COVID that. I'm telling you, I have from a reliable source that COVID is the actual holdup because certain meetings can't take place, and I can't say any more about that. So it's I'm telling you, cut it doesn't do any good to put more pressure on them right now or, or to bitch about it or complain because it, it cannot move forward at this time. But but it is actually being worked, and that it is my 1,000% firm belief arrests are going to be made in that case. And to you, suspect one, suspect two, kiss my ass. I heard you were going to sue me. Get your lawyer and sue me. I would love to be able to tell everything that I know in civil court on Courtney Coco's case that I didn't get to put out on the podcast because I didn't want to do anything to jeopardize the investigation. I would love for you to just fucking see me, so go ahead and do it because uh, I know you listen, you little bitches. Miss um, Barbara Blunt's case, I am moving forward, okay? The, the, you don't know. I can't say everything, et cetera, but I think the next episode you hear from Real Life Real Crime will be a different angle on Miss Barbara Blunt's that I'm going to do the episode on, so get ready for it. It's got some real interesting stuff. But please share Miss Barbara Blunt's case. Uh, lay off the Coco. Lay off Alexander PD. They, they've done done what they can do to this point, and it's moving forward. But y'all, in Miss Barbara Blunt's case, I'm still getting tips. Every time y'all share it, the case, I get the tips. And I'm about to leave tonight to go to my place in the woods, and I'm going to sit down with that case file, and I'm not leaving, not getting done until I have the next I have a lot of information. Let's put it like that. So just keep calling in your tips. Sheriff Ard is 1,000% committed to working on this case, and he has the resources on it. It is not a cold, it's not a frozen cold case anymore, okay, because of the lifers, because y'all care. And y'all, a lot of you send your tips, and you're like, oh, I, I feel stupid for sending this in, bull. There is no stupid tip. Send in your tips. Every tip helps. You never know what's going to be the one tip that breaks the case wide open. So, and I appreciate you and just love y'all to death. Um, let's talk about LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, right? That, uh, that's my personal mission for real life, real crime. Lifers, if you haven't signed up, please go, and it'll be in the show notes, to the LOPA.org and sign up takes two minutes hey if you if you sign up take a, a screenshot of it and we'll post it in the crew right it's so important and that we we i did a podcast with them that's about to come out um in a couple of weeks i think and i want y'all to listen to it when this this little five-month-old baby saved four lives her organs did and i've had other cases where organ donors uh we have lifers that are alive today right now one of them got a double lung transplant okay well guess what somebody had to die to get her those lungs right she wouldn't be breathing 
if it wasn't for it. So there's a, when you die, they have a real strict guideline. It's not like they can go a week later or, I mean, they have a certain time frame. Actually, you still have to be alive. I'm not most technical savvy on it. We'll have the people on one day to explain it to you, but you, you have to be alive, like brain dead, hooked up to the machine for them to go in and, and get the organs that they need to help these other people that are dying. They're, they're living on machines and waiting on these organs and shit, man. You're not going to care. You're going to be dead anyway, right? They still got your body to bury. I mean, let them use it. And, and, and there's, there's some things that they do with tissue for studies and stuff like that. There's just, it's, you want to be a hero. Life was a real hero. Go sign up for Lopa. Go sign up to be an organ donor and give the gift of life. Okay. Give the gift of life. And I have a really moving story. Uh, Toby Tom play our executive producer, one of his best friends, daughters died recently. And I, and her organs were able to go and help a bunch of people. I want, I want Toby on, I want him to be able to tell that story uh, these are real people. These are real lives. And so be a hero. Go sign up at lopa.org, or it'll be in the show notes. Go sign up. Be an organ donor. Be a hero. Save lives. Lifers, save lives. And I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. Until next time or ever, don't let me catch you down on murder. By you. Peace. Dead Monday. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.